Hello and welcome to the commentary for Lesson 342, 2 Kings chapter 10. And then we touched just a little bit on 2 Chronicles chapter 22. So in the last lesson we learned that Jehu, you know, he had just killed Joram, king of Israel, and then he killed Jezebel. And Jehu became the new king of Israel, and this was all foretold by the prophets of God. So I want to mention that in the last lesson, I said that it was convenient that Ahaziah was there too, so Jehu could kill both of them at once. And I just assumed that Ahaziah was killed also, but scripture never specifically said that. And so now in today's reading, we see that Ahaziah was obviously not killed along with Joram, but shortly after. So Jehu is continuing in his directive to kill all of Ahab's people. That's what we come to in today's reading. Now remember, both Elijah and the prophet of Elisha had prophesied that Jehu would become king, and he knew that all the descendants of Ahab had to be wiped out. And I want to go back just a little bit from the last lesson and read a scripture from 2 Kings chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. This is what the young prophet said to Jehu. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anoint you king over the Lord's people, Israel. You are to destroy the family of Ahab, your master. In this way, I will avenge the murder of my prophets and all the Lord's servants who were killed by Jezebel. The entire family of Ahab must be wiped out. I will destroy every one of his male descendants, slave and free alike, anywhere in Israel. Now, I want to point out that it does specify male descendants, and we will see why that's important in tomorrow's reading. So, like I said, Jehu is continuing on with his directive, and he is essentially the tool used by God to bring about justice. And he's avenging the Lord's prophets and servants, remember, that were killed by Jezebel. So, verse 1 says Ahab had 70 sons living in the city of Samaria. So, Jehu writes a letter to the officials of the city. He lets them know that he intends to kill the sons of Ahab and to prepare for war. Verse 4 says, But they were paralyzed with fear and said, We've seen that two kings couldn't stand against this man. What can we do? They're referring, obviously, to when Joram and Ahaziah went up against Jehu and were defeated by him. So, They respond with a message saying, basically, please know we are your servants and we will do anything you ask. So Jehu asks for the heads of the 70 sons, to which they promptly obey, and they have them delivered to him in baskets, which if you can visualize that, that's kind of weird and creepy. So Jehu creates a spectacle when he piles up the heads outside the city gates. And then the next morning, all the people are crowded around, and this is outside the city gates of Jezreel, I believe. All the people are crowded around, and he goes out to speak with them. And he tells them, verse 9, you are not to blame. I am the one who conspired against my master and killed him. So he's owning what he did, his part in this, because he knows he needs an explanation He goes on to explain that he had no choice and that he had to do it because of the message that the Lord spoke to him concerning Ahab's family. So you can imagine the scene. 
and that surely this caused a lot of chaos, right? Remember, some of these people, their families were intertwined with King Ahab. So there were people even there that were probably related to Ahab's descendants in some way, or at least knew of them. Who knows? Verse 11 said, Then Jehu killed all who were left of Ahab's relatives living in Jezreel, and all his important officials, his personal friends, and his priests. Now remember, the directive given by God said the entire family of Ahab must be wiped out. Male descendants. Um, it does not say anything about personal friends and priests. So we will see that Jehu took this a little too far. So then Jehu sets out for Samaria, and along the way, he and his men bump into a crowd of 42 men who identified themselves as Ahaziah's family. And they're headed to Jezreel to visit Ahab and Jezebel. That was the wrong thing to say. Apparently, they hadn't heard the news, right? (laughs) So since they were related to Ahab, remember Ahaziah was the son of Ahab's daughter, Athaliah. And so Jehu had them all killed and continues on to Samaria. Want to point to 2 Kings 8, verse 27. This is about Ahaziah, just to remember kind of who he is and why he and his family are being killed. Um, This scripture says, Ahaziah followed the evil example of King Ahab's family. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as Ahab's family had done, for he was related by marriage to the family of Ahab. So then we move on and it, we get to the account given in Second Chronicles 22. And this account adds some pertinent information. It says that after the killing, Jehu's men searched for Ahaziah and found him hiding in the city. They brought him to Jehu who killed him. Now this is probably mentioned because um, they're wanting to point out Ahaziah's cowardly response, right? Hiding in the city is shameful. He was a king. It also adds an important note, and that is that the people made sure that Ahaziah was given a decent burial because he was the grandson of Jehoshaphat. Remember, Jehoshaphat was a good king, a godly man. So then they head into the city of Samaria, and Jehu meets up with a friend, Jehonadab, And I'm not sure how they know each other, but he invites him to ride along in his chariot and basically is saying, hey, watch this, as he goes in to kill everyone left there in Samaria from Ahab's family. So you kind of wonder, this Jehonadab, if he really knew what he was getting himself into getting in that chariot. I don't know. It doesn't really go into a lot of detail about that man. But anyways... Then we come to the account of the priests, and this was very disturbing, the way Jehu did this. Um, Before I go there, I want to point back to 1 Kings 21, verses 25 and 26, that says, No one else so completely sold himself to what was evil in the Lord's sight as Ahab did under the influence of his wife Jezebel. His, meaning Ahab's, worst outrage was worshiping idols. So I just want to point to that to say that I'm sure this is where Jehu was coming from, was the idol worship, and so that's what he's attacking. And he did take care of a problem that God had, and that was the worshipers of Baal. Um, But 
man, it's ugly. So, but I just wanted to point to that scripture because it says the worst outrage was the worshiping of idols. And you know, not only did Ahab and his family worship false idols themselves, but they led other Israelites, God's people, to do the same thing. And so that sort of explains the horrifying account in verses 18 through 31, where Jehu tricked all the worshipers of Baal to come to the temple of Baal for sacrifices and burnt offerings. And then once they were all in there, he had his guards and officers kill them and then converted the place to a public toilet of all things. So that took care of that. But, you know, if you're like me right now, you're probably squirming in your seat and This is the hardcore Old Testament stuff, and I'd like to glaze over it if I could, but I can't. It happened, and it's, you know, horrific as this event may be, it happened for a reason. The first commandment of the Lord from the law of Moses is, you shall have no other gods before me. The second is, you shall not make idols or bow down to them or serve them. So they had sinned against God in the most offensive way possible, and Jesus hadn't come yet, so the penalty for sin was death. But man, it's ugly. And then as we come to the end of all this killing by Jehu and his men, the last few verses of chapter 10 are pretty telling. Verses 28 through 30 say, In this way, Jehu destroyed every trace of Baal worship from Israel. He did not, however, destroy the gold calves at Bethel and Dan, with which Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had caused Israel to sin. Nevertheless, the Lord said to Jehu, You have done well in following my instructions to destroy the family of Ahab. Therefore, your descendants will be kings of Israel down to the fourth generation. Now, my study Bible says that probably the reason he did not destroy the idols, or he destroyed the idols of Baal, but not the gold calves in Bethel and Dan, probably it it suggests that his motives may have been more political than spiritual. So it says Baal worship was associated with the dynasty of Ahab, so it was politically advantageous to destroy Baal. But the golden calves, on the other hand, had a longer history in the northern kingdom and were valued by all political factions. Um, Also, Baal worship was anti-God, but the gold calves were thought by many to be visible representations of God himself. So even though that's incorrect, he was appealing to the masses. And so what he did destroy and what he didn't destroy was likely very strategic. But we know that God's law stated clearly that such worship as the golden calves was idolatrous. So he he condemned one set of practices while condoning another. So not good. Um, But anyway, the scripture back to 2 Kings 10 verses 28 through 30 When it says, you know, God is saying, you have done well in following my instructions to destroy the family of Ahab. Therefore, your descendants will be kings of Israel down to the fourth generation. This just reminds us again, in case there was any doubt, that Jehu was not going rogue here. He was an obedient instrument of God, but he probably did take it too far. And 
Um, I want to continue on with the last verse that says, but Jehu did not obey the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He refused to turn from the sins that Jeroboam had led Israel to commit. So another thing from my study Bible, it says that Jehu did much of what the Lord told him to do, but he did not obey with all his heart. He had become God's instrument for carrying out justice, but he had not become God's servant. As a result, he gave only lip service to God while permitting the worship of the gold calves. Check the condition of your heart toward God. We can be very active in our work for God and still not give the heartfelt obedience that he desires. I like that. Kind of puts it in perspective. Um, And so as we close, you know, I honestly don't know how to pull a takeaway from this. I mean, it was kind of tough because we don't go around killing people for God, right? Um, But I guess if anything, this should help us better understand the mindset behind the, you know, the deeply religious divides in the Middle East and all over the countries of Asia and Africa. And, you know, anyone who thinks that radical Islam, jihad, ISIS, whatever you want to call them, can be reasoned with or that we should just talk things out. I mean, we can begin to see how that's just not possible. And so I want to close with something else I found in my study Bible. It says, in his zeal, Jehu went far beyond the Lord's command with this bloodbath. The prophet Hosea later announced punishment upon Jehu's dynasty for this senseless slaughter. And we'll come up to that later. It's Hosea 1 verses 4 through 5 if you want to look it up. Many times in history, religious people have mixed faith with personal ambition, power, or cruelty without God's consent or blessing. To use God or the Bible to condone oppression is wrong. When people attack Christianity because of atrocities that Christians carried out, help them to see that these men and women were using faith for their own political ends and not following Christ. And then uh, the study Bible continues on and says we should be tolerant of people who hold different views, but we should not condone beliefs or practices that lead people away from God's standard of living. So that has many applications in our life today if you think about the things that go against God's standard and and what he wants for us in our lives. And, and the reason he gives us scripture and the reason Jesus came to teach us how to live is because that's just how it works best. That's how God designed us. And when we see people living in a way that goes against that standard, we don't have to be cruel to them, but we also don't celebrate. We certainly don't celebrate it and say, yay for you. That's great. You just do whatever makes you happy because that's not what we're called to do. Anyways, that sort of leads to a whole nother topic, so we're not going to go there. But um, this is a good, I, I, you know, this is a difficult study. I, I really struggle with scripture like this, but it's there for a reason, and we can't just overlook it. So we will close with that. But I hope you all have a great day, and I will talk to you soon.